1: Mr. Roberts, it's mailback time. And yes, we're going to start off. We have a super chat down here from a uh, very interesting name from Trash. Thank you, Trash, for your super chat.
2: Yes, Trash. Thank you very much. Before the ACC days, I have a memory of football year that every game we played was against a rival. Why is that? And who are Notre Dame's true rivals?
1: Well, that was back. I mean, that was kind of how it was when I was young. And and it seemed like every the first month of the season you were playing Michigan Michigan State, Purdue, some form of that early in the season. And, you know, yeah. then you'd have USC. It wasn't quite to that um, that level. I mean, if you look at the 1988 season, and, you know, obviously you had Michigan, Michigan State, you had USC. Those are three traditional rivals. Miami had become a rival at that time. They played Stanford that year, Ryan, but Notre Dame and Stanford weren't really a rival yet. Um, they weren't playing each other every year until the 90s at some point time is when that became sort of a playing each other every year type of thing. Um, I'm going to actually go back and and look at that. So they've played 35 times in history. Think about that. And they've been playing every year for a while. So they hadn't played a whole lot of times before that 1988 game. As a matter of fact, when they played in 1988, they hadn't played Stanford since 1964 prior to that year. So it wasn't a rivalry yet and you look at the rest of the schedule for you had michigan michigan state purdue started the season off with rivals Pitt wasn't really a rival miami was a sort of a new rival navy jet air force rice penn state kind of a rival usc so why was that because they were playing a lot more northern teams back then right a lot more teams that they had along because football used to be kind of more geographical than it is now when it came to your regular season you'd you know, you'd have Ohio State going out and playing USC or UCLA in the regular season at times, and Washington and Notre Dame would always go all over. But you weren't doing that a ton. And the teams that were doing it were the Notre Dames and the Penn States that were doing that because they had to because they were independents. So they would they would play some of those games. Notre Dame did that a lot more than 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 um, than uh, did Penn State. And then you'd see teams like Michigan would play Miami, uh, Florida State. They would always schedule tough. But why? Because the Big Ten only had. Ten teams, and you know you you you. It was you were encouraged to go out and play teams out of your conference. Uh, big Ten was the big conference back then because the Big Eight only had eight teams. The Southwest Conference they had like eight teams. The ACC had like eight teams. The it, the Pac Ten was not the Pac Ten back then. It was the Pac Eight, I believe. If, if it was still the Pac Eight back then. And so yeah, actually let me go look that up. So the ACC had eight teams. The Big Eight had eight teams imagine that they actually had the number of teams you're supposed to have the pac-10 was the pac-10 then ryan so they did have 10 then but it wasn't for, for very long the southwest conference had eight teams and the sec had 10 teams so you had two teams that were 10 that's it everybody else was less than that and then of course you had the long list of independents that we've listed so you when you have seven when you have eight teams you only have seven conference games you have now four non-conferences because back then a lot of times you only played 11 games in the regular season yeah and so, yeah, a lot more games to fill. And so, you know, th- th- that's what you kind of had to do. So, I mean, I think it was just because it was more geographically based. The ACC for Notre Dame doesn't make a lot of sense geographically from an on-field standpoint. It makes a lot of sense for them recruiting-wise and things along those lines, but it, does, it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, back then, you were just going to play a lot of Midwestern teams. That's just kind of how it was. And so that's why. And I kind of missed that. I, I would like to see – michigan state back on the schedule more regularly <laughs> i'd like to see purdue on the schedule a little bit more regularly i do not care about michigan but oh, in do. I, do. I don't i just don't I do. care I, 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 i'm I, in I the I, i'm in the minority i do hate them which is why i don't want to give them the the uh ability you know give them the platform to possibly even er- you know get anything out of playing notre dame oh, i just want to be i'm them. in the minority there yeah but to me michigan and michigan state and purdue are much more true rivals because they weren't trying to block notre dame from joining the big 10 and you know didn't refuse to play notre dame michigan fans say well we taught you how to play football yeah and exactly what happened after we got real good at it you stopped playing us and then tried to block us from joining the big 10 for 50 years you know what i mean so you know sorry i'm not going to get too excited about you trying to help notre dame learn how to play football but that's really but what it boils down to, and, and I just think that it's harder nowadays to to kind of establish those those Miami type of rivalries in a if from a team that's not in your league, and you know you're just not going to see a team like like what's the what would what's the advantage for Michigan? In, in all fairness, what's the advantage for Michigan to play Notre Dame every year? As far R- at, well, I mean, it's what the Notre what Ryan benefit does Michigan game. have? other than it being a rivalry, what, what benefit is there for Michigan to play Notre Dame every year right now? Cause they just proved they can play nobody in the non-conference and still get the playoff as long as they beat Ohio state. So why expose themselves to potentially losing to a team like Notre Dame in, in the non-conference? There's no benefit to it. The way that it's constructed now, I mean, you can, go like this but the reality is is you're gonna you're not gonna get punished and i mean i mean it's, it's nowadays, still proven
2: that you are the power in the midwest potentially i mean you're still trying if to michigan goes to the playoff part,
1: does anyone question whether or not michigan is the was the best team in the midwest last year because they didn't play notre dame the point is if they beat ohio state they're gonna get in the playoff so why sure. would you expose yourself to playing notre dame in the non-conference now ryan i'm not arguing that it's the right thing to do I think you should challenge yourself in the non-conference. That's the right sure. thing to do. My point is, if you're looking at what the teams are looking to do now, which is just make the playoff, there's no benefit to scheduling tough in your non-conference because you're not being punished if you don't. That's my point. Sure. The, and to me, the NCAA needs to go back to, hey, look, Michigan, we're more impressed with this 11-1 and team that actually played people than we are with you who went 12-0 and and played two good teams all year. And then start rewarding those teams to play tough. That if, if you do that, then that changes things. So part of the reason you're not going to see those rivalries with the big names is because there's just no incentive for those teams to do that. Now, kudos to Ohio State for still going out there and playing the Oklahomas and the Notre Dames and teams like that, right? Kudos to the teams that are still willing to, to, to have those tests non-conference. But... I mean, for a lot of you're going to see less, especially when they go to 12 team playoff, Ryan, there's even less reason to play non-conference unless the committee starts changing how they view teams start putting teams in, start, start lowering giving teams lower rankings or not putting them in at all. If they don't play anybody at a conference like that to me would be the only way to fix it. I, I, I get it. I mean,
2: I, I understand your point. I understand that the teams don't get as much out of it, but I mean, the, the, what, 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 what builds and why people are fans of college football, in my opinion, are for the rivalries. Like, I don't disagree with you at all.
1: Yeah. I'm, you I and know I are, you are, are on the same page saying. in that regard. Yeah. Those games should happen, whether it's Michigan State and Notre Dame or Michigan, Notre Dame, whatever. The rivalry should be there. My point is simply that you're going to see less of that now because of the way that the postseason is determined. And that's that's my complaint. And that's my yeah. issue with it. And it's also what were the the goals back in the day was when you were a Big Ten team, your goal was to win the Rose Bowl. That was your goal. Now it's like you have team like Ohio State literally had the audacity this year to say, if we don't make the playoff, we don't want playing play in the Rose Bowl. I was so disgusted by that. I've been yeah. there, done that. Like, are you serious? Like, you're just spitting on the tradition of your school that now somehow the Rose Bowl now is beneath you. And I'm like, but this is what it's this is what the current system has done. It just it's cheapened things like that. And I don't like it, but that also explains why you're just not going to have some of the rivalries at a conference that you used to have. It's one of the many reasons why that's the case. I don't like it, but it's just the way that it is.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Next question is from Rob Osgood. Thank you for the question, Rob he said I like the way Notre Dame is going about the transfer portal kind of like free agency. you fill your needs as they come up. I know it's looking in the future, but what is your expectation on the transfer portal for next year? Thank you. a bit but
1: yeah I, yeah, I think it'll look a little similar to this year, Ryan to me. I, I think that you know quarterback may be where you, you got to go you may have to go there again next year. I could see a scenario where Notre Dame might be in the conversation for a tackle, offensive tackle, perhaps, depending on how young guys develop. If Joe Walt yeah. goes pro, especially if both him and Blake Fisher go pro. And, and again, I right now, my prediction would be one of those guys comes back. Probably Blake Fisher would be my prediction for now, uh, barring injury. But, you know, to me, I could see that. I could see a scenario where they feel the need to go back to the portal for another big end, you know, depending on, cause Nana is going to be a fifth year senior this year. I guess he could come back for a sixth year and Javante has gone after this year. So depending on how your young guys develop, I could see a scenario there and safety might have to be a, a need again next year, depending on how some young guys develop and how your high school, how your recruiting class goes. So I think it'll be similar, Ryan, four to five guys, just different positions uh yeah. in some of those instances but that's look there's going to be there could there's going to be an injury somewhere that's going to shake that up a little bit too it happens every year happens to everybody there's going to be somebody that that has a breakout year that maybe goes pro that we're not anticipating you know like hey i'm anticipating you know riley mills being back in the next year but you know what if he has a great year or goes pro or I mean, sometimes you have need a great year just make a bad decision sometimes <laughs> but you know th- there's all types of things that can happen you know, running back may be a position they have to go to next year, depending on how recruiting goes. Can they get two signees in this class? But if Audrick Estime goes pro and you have another injury there, all of a sudden you kind of have some needs there. So uh, tight ends, another one, Ryan, where if let's say Mitchell Evans has a great year and he goes pro and you still have the same injury issues that you've had with certain guys. Now, all of a sudden, tight end might become a need there. So some of it's going to be shaken up, but I, I think it's going to be very similar numbers wise to wait to where it is this year. About, you know, five to six, five or six guys is kind of where I expect them to be and I, next year. I think that shows that
2: shows program health back to our original point. Agreed. So I'm, I'm happy with that. I would be very happy. It. If it was anything more that becomes a, you know, there's a, If there's a big need to pull in like 10 to 15 guys, you're like, hmm, there's probably a lot of exits in the the program. And that's probably not a good sign. One
1: of two things would be true in that instance, Ryan. One is, and this is where you're going, some stuff hit the fan and a bunch of dudes bounced. The other alternative is they go out there and dominate and win a title this year and a bunch of dudes go pro that they weren't anticipating going pro. And you've got to get up to like 10 to 12 portal guys. I guess that'd be a nice problem to have. Uh, but uh, most likely would be the first example, which is some stuff didn't go well and guys are leaving. Question from David Lowe
2: says, is Antonio Carter going to be a true one safety or a depth piece?
1: Well, I mean, Ryan, I think he's being brought in to compete for that. Sure. I mean, he could end up being both. I mean, it, it is kind of both. Don't you think? I mean, Yes, he's going to compete for starting job, but it also helps improve the depth. I mean, I'll say this. He's not being brought in to just, well, gee, just in case something doesn't happen, (laughs) you know, something happens somebody else, you're there to, to help him. He's being brought in to compete, and he's going to be given opportunities just like DJ Brown and Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts are going to be given opportunities to earn a starting job. He's going to be given that opportunity. There's no question about it. Will he win it? I don't know about that, but he's going to be given that opportunity. No question. Well, he had he had opportunities to go
2: to Wisconsin, Iowa, LSU, Florida, like th- all those programs, David, are not recruiting him to just be a, a just a guy on the sideline all the time. Right. Like those guys. I mean, he was very high on like Wisconsin for a little bit there. You know, I mean, because he would have went in and probably started day one from Wisconsin. So th- I don't think that he would be going to Notre Dame if he was just I, I'm going to have no chance to compete, but I'm going to get a degree and I'm just going to be a, a key backup. Like I'm pretty sure Antonio has the he has a little bit of that behind him that say like, Hey, I'm going to go in and I'm going to compete. And because Notre Dame has laid that out of like, you're going to get an opportunity to do that. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that he has opportunity to compete, but regardless, you got another number in the room, which was very important. Next question is from Archer four, five, two. What's up Archer says reports today that seven ACC teams have been meeting to discuss how to either make more money or get out of their conference. Where do you think all the schools end up and does the big East reform?
1: No, I mean, there's no way a new conference is going to start, I don't think, unless it starts as like a AAC kind of turns back into the Big East and it's not a major conference anymore. They're just going to go to a couple of the major conferences. Yeah, right? it's just like the, the Big yeah. Ten and the, the Big Ten, the Big 12. Like one report I saw today, somebody sent me that Louisville is now the eighth team that's now considering this, but okay. the conference that's pursuing Louisville is the Big 12. So. You're on, you're on your way to sort of that Big 3 now okay. with basically the Big 12 uh, and the Big 10 picking the carcass off of the Pac-12. And then if the ACC implodes, which right now there's a lot that has to happen for this to, to be the case, you're going to see the ACC get split up into the Big 10 and the SEC. But yeah. some of those teams are going to end up going to the Big 12, in my opinion. Like To me, I don't know if Pitt's a team that the ACC or the Big 10 or the the big East or the, the SEC are going to want, but I bet you the big 12 wouldn't make a lot of sense for the big 12. You already have West Virginia, you know, solidify that Western PA Eastern Ohio market. And you've brought in a football rivalry, not that rivalries matter a ton, but it doesn't hurt. Right. I mean, so you, you need to add something geographically to what you're doing with West Virginia. You have West Virginia in the big 12, you bring Louisville in, maybe that then makes sense for them to go after Syracuse and um, you know, team Boston college perhaps. And then kind of you have your big 12 East, you know? So I think you can have something like that, but I think the, I think what, if, if something doesn't change, Ryan, what I think is going to happen is we're not going to have two mega conferences. We're going to have three. And I think the big 12 is, is maneuvering in a way to where if they can make a couple savvy moves, they could survive this. Yeah. Where the ACC is going to have a hard time surviving this in one of two ways. One is the teams are going to find some way to get out, um, even if it means one of the TV companies is willing to help them pay the buyout fee, which is like a hundred some million dollars per team, which That's is crazy. nuts. <laughs> and the big problem that these schools are having is because they're, they don't, you know, Florida State can't compete financially. Be, um, uh, because it's, it's a state school, there's not a lot of money going into the state schools in Florida, and they need that, they need that football revenue and sports revenue more than you know, Miami does, which is a, a pretty well-to-do private school. So I, I think that that it's either gonna become a conference that nobody cares about, that's way behind everybody else, and they're an afterthought if those teams can't get out, because they're now 60, 70, 80 million dollars behind a year, those other teams, or it's gonna implode and you're going to see the Big 12 be really smart about going hard after some of those teams that maybe the SEC and Big 10 aren't pursuing as hard right away, right? Because the, the Big 10 and, and the SEC are going to go after Florida State, Clemson, Miami, and the Carolina teams, right? Like that that those are just the markets that they want to get into, right? They want to get into that Charlotte, that growing Charlotte market. They want to get in Clemson. They want to get Miami because that's a market that the people want. And then all of a sudden, you you know, Florida State's a name brand that brings something to the market. But maybe they don't go after Louisville as hard. So they're going to be – Big Ten's going to be going after Florida State as well. But So then maybe the Big 12 is savvy and say, hey, while they're fighting for Florida State, Clemson, and Miami, we're going to come in and we're going to steal Louisville. We're going to steal Pitt. We're going to steal – you know what I mean? We're going to steal Boston College and get that sort of that northeastern market that that Ohio State tried to – get or the Big Ten tried to get with Rutgers – we're going to now take it cuz we're going to get you know we're going to get Boston College and Syracuse right and so i could see something like that where the the Big 12 ends up sub- being smart about going after the right teams go after the arizonas that's another state that's that's booming right i mean it's growing the markets are getting bigger and bigger and bigger go after the salt lake city market go after the denver market and get utah get colorado you know if if if, get arizona arizona state then go out east get louisville pitt boston college and syracuse and now you've just gone you've just made yourself sort of a national brand and you've gotten some pretty decent markets now you didn't get like the mega markets but you just got yourself into some pretty decent size salt lake city denver uh, phoenix tucson boston pittsburgh uh, New York, you've now gotten some markets that you can say, hey, we can we can do something here and you become a lot more attractive. So I I think the Big 12 could be a team that becomes a sneaky, a sneaky mover here when it comes to this conference realignment. And it, it'll end up not making the the big two have the big three. And I think the big three is better for football than the big two or better for college sports than the big two, because at least there's some counterweight to the big 10 in the SEC. That's my hope anyway. That might be a yeah. little bit more um, wishful thinking, but we're seeing the Big 12 making some of these moves. I mean, going after Louisville and teams and things like that. I I could see that because there's just some of those teams in those – like where. here's a question, right? Where does Stanford go? Who the heck wants Stanford and Cal right now? That's They're not question. very big markets. They're not schools that really take their football program seriously. Like, don't be shocked if in 10 years from now, if things don't change with how it's all made up, if Stanford's not an FCS team or a Mountain West team that just doesn't care. Like, because eventually if, if these things happen, you're going to see a two, two foot, they're going to see two footballs, two conferences or two leagues. You're going to have the, the, the power five league is going to kind of break off and be its own thing. And all the Mountain West and the Macs are going to kind of still be in the NCAA. Don't be shocked if there's some teams like Stanford left behind in that conversation it's interesting. don't be shocked because what's the value that stanford adds right now for what they care about they don't care about olympic sports and the, the stanford has as good olympic sports as anybody and they're phenomenal but nobody cares about that as far as the tv deals and stuff like that and stanford doesn't care about football they've made that very clear yeah so what's the value people really want that northern california college football market i don't think they're, so the, the stupid tree is a mascot <laughs> exactly it's their, it's their exactly so that'll be interesting very very interesting i,
2: I did miss the big east though man that was better than action in my opinion when yeah. west virginia and Rutgers and all those
1: were good it was those fun man, fun times but they're gone I, I don't like any of this ryan i just yeah. that's I, I think it's it's to the point where it's getting close to being inevitable that, that the current power five is dying. The PAC 12, You talk- when I heard that the PAC 12 was talking to the CW about games, I was like, they're done. They're done. They got they got no chance. The CW really for real <laughs> trying to tap into that teenage market of college football fans. Like, what are we doing here? It's really smart, man. You it's know, really smart. They're um, out of the curve. You know, it's just like, come on, man. And then once they <laughs> lost LA, it's like, okay, they're done you know that it's just a matter of time and then Oregon and Washington won out they're going to end up going to the big 10 from from everything i'm reading it's it's just it's inevitable now unfortunately ryan and um yeah. i don't like it just the way it's going to be sadly well, I, I knew the pac 12 was going to die as
2: soon as i saw how they handled covid a few years ago so oh, yeah. i knew that that was going to die after that to be honest <laughs> it was they brought it on bit. themselves
1: in a lot of ways like some of the things they, they did like with the uh you know, the TV thing, like, you I mean, you literally lived in California and you couldn't get Pac-12 games on TV because yes. of the way that they did. I mean, just it's like, it, it, I, I say this all the time, right? It amazes me how many people who are just not good at what they do get hired to very important jobs. Yes. It just, and, and it's as prevalent in college sports as anywhere. It's just like, how does this person have that job that they have? It just blows my mind. And then they let like the the fact that they let Larry Scott be in charge of the Pac-12 as long as they did was like it's like they were trying to commit athletic suicide. Yeah. I mean, it's just like I've I've joked about this before, Ryan, like I used to make this joke as a Broncos fan because remember how Bill Belichick couldn't beat Mike Shanahan, like just just couldn't beat Mike Shanahan and, and struggled against the Broncos even when Shanahan left. And then they hired Josh McDaniels. And he just like runs the Broncos. And the used a joke like if, if I were to tell you Bill Belichick planted Josh McDaniels in Denver to ruin the Broncos franchise, what would he have done different than what he actually did, right? Now, I don't think that's what happened, but you get the joke that I'm making, right? And I've kind of said that about like the Pac-12. Like if the Pac-12, if Larry Scott was a plant to destroy the Pac-12 by the SEC and the Big Ten, what would he have done different than he actually did if that were the case? That's a good point. Right point. Now again, I yeah. don't think that that's true. I'm just making a point of how bad he was at his job. Well, well,
2: sometimes I think about like they let me vote for the Davy O'Brien Award. I'm like, there must be idiots, man. Like, why
1: are they <laughs> letting me vote for it? Just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say nothing. You know, right? <laughs> how do I know <laughs> who voted for Carson Strong? Hold on a second. <laughs> I liked Carson Strong. man. I know you did. That's why I'm saying that's what made that joke funny because I knew uh, that guy would who that voter would have been. Who who would have known that right. Carson Strong was going to be a turn a yeah. person? We got <laughs> a we got a two parter here from our uh,
2: from our LSU fan. Insured by Big says one of two. Obviously, Notre Dame has a great chance to make the college football playoff or win it all this year. But how long is the leash on Marcus Freeman before his seat gets warm? If that doesn't happen. I come from an irrational fan
1: base so I was just curious of
2: the Notre Dame fan base. Thanks guys.
1: Yeah, Notre Dame is not an insane fan base. I mean this is a very I'm fair not, question not like coming that. from an SEC yeah. fan. Very fair question, right? I mean SEC and NBA are those leagues where like if you don't win in a couple of years you're out.
2: Here, yeah. Here's the reality University of, of it.
1: Florida. <laughs> right. Notre Dame is not going to be pulling a Dan Mullen situation for two reasons. Number one, Marcus Freeman is far more likable than Dan Mullen, far more likable. And I've said this all the time. If you're going to be a jerk, you better win because the moment you stop winning all that they, now all you have is your jerk, right? So uh he, his, I mean, I hate, I really do hate using this word leash, but uh it's long as nice, long as nice he's, running the program the right way, not getting into trouble, not not the kids are, you know, the academics take a tank. I mean, none of that's going to happen. None of that's happening. The only thing that could make the lease short is if they just implode. And he cuz if they go like 6 and 6 this year, Ryan, yeah. It's clear that he's not the man for the job right now. That he's just it, it's just it's too much too soon, right? I mean, that that's how I would take it. Now, I don't I have zero concern that that's going to happen. Zero like, because we've already seen him do better than that with a worse roster than the one he's going to have in 2023. the The point being is, it would require something disastrous like that for this yeah. for him to have to be on any kind of warm seat, much less a hot seat. It would really locker room that. issues on top
2: of it. Guys right. leaving the legal trouble. It's just like, what
1: yeah. is happening? Like, yeah. it would require yeah. an, an absolute implosion for that to to be the case because Notre Dame is a more patient place and I'm actually okay with that. I mean, look, why did Ty Willingham get fired after three years? It's because he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't working. It was so obvious that he was just not fit for the job, nor did it even seem like even one of the job to be completely honest with you. And that's why he got ran out sooner than, than any other coach has really ever been run out. And so, but he even got three years, Yeah, you know? And so, um, and Marcus Freeman works a lot harder than Ty Willingham did, which is why he won't be fired in three years. But yes. it would take—I mean—and he—he—I mean—he oversaw the worst recruiting class I've ever seen at Notre. I mean, at a, for a Power Five team ever. I mean, it, it was like go look at his last recruiting. No, his yeah, his last recruiting class was it 2004. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was so bad. I mean, it was. I'm actually going to bring it up now. I'm just going to use uh, Rivals because Rivals is really the only service that's survived since then. You can talk about people complaining now. Notre Dame signed 16 players in that class, Ryan. Signed yeah. two four-stars. <laughs> Anthony Vernaglia and Junior Jabby. Oh, Junior Jabby. Nice. Yes. They signed three – no, I'm sorry, four, five, six two-star players that were not specialists. Abdel Banda was a linebacker that was a two-star. Treg Duerson was a two-star DB. David Wolke was a two-star quarterback. Justin Brown was a two-star D-end. Darren Bragg was a two-star uh, quarterback. And Leo Farine was a two-star DB. Now, uh, Justin Brown actually did okay. He actually played. The rest of that class, Terrell Lambert was good. Darius Walker and Mo Crum were three stars. They were better than that. Ronald Talley, John Cato, Brandon Nicholas, Chancey Encarnado, Justin Hoskins. So outside of Terrell Lambert, Darius Walker, and Mo Crum, you didn't get a whole lot out of that class. To be <laughs> honest with you, it's a really big you know, class. and it was a terrible class. Terrible class. Where did that rank nationally? It had to be like oh, it was bad. It was thirty seconds. Oh really? Oh that high? Really? I thought yeah. it'd be a lower than that. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty bad. I don't know how it ranked that high. An average two point seven star rating. Now oh. keep in mind, Ryan, that they gave out a lot more two stars back then. So, um, it was, a it was a little bit, is a little bit different than than it is than it is now. Uh, for example, Oklahoma that year finished with the number eight two uh, the number, um, uh, see here, eight class in the country
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they finished second in star rating and they signed a two-star that year, wow. defensive tackle, two-star that year. So, th- I mean, th- they gave a lot more of those out. Um, LSU that year finished with the number two recruiting class. They had a two star running back on that in that class. Now here's the funny thing is, do you know who this two star was that they signed? You don't know. It's a rhetorical question. I'm sorry. Oh, but
2: um, wait. Can I guess? Am I? Yeah, guessing right of course. Now?
1: Oh, 2004 or is this 2003? Yeah, 2004 class. They signed a running back. Joseph Pena. Nope. It was uh, Jacob Hester.
2: Oh, Jacob Hester. A, yeah.
1: Oh, nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. I should have said fullback. He was a good player. Uh, Oh, I would have gotten it if you would have said, yeah, I would have but that him. class had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine two and three star players that number two ranked LSU class. So they were a lot more liberal with the ranking back then. So yeah. it wasn't abnormal to have a two star in a class, but to have six, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. But could you imagine how Notre Dame fans would be acting right now? Uh, if they signed anything even close to that. Even if the, all those two stars were three stars, I mean, it was oh my gosh. I, I, should, was... I
2: shouldn't laugh at it too much, but what DJ Armageddon just said in the chat was pretty funny. Me, uh,
1: maybe I'll, chuckle a little bit. I'll, I'll have to find that one here in a second. <laughs> it's it's um, like um. okay. Actually, they weren't. <laughs> That's actually not accurate. Um, so, I mean, if you go back and look at that class, it's actually not even close to being accurate to, to what that to what that class did. So. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at it now. That 2004 class, uh, none of the running backs were that. None of the DBs were that, and they didn't sign any receivers. So <laughs> good, good, yeah. So <laughs> uh, not accurate. You can't uh, sign any white receivers yeah. if you don't sign
2: a
0: receiver. Yes,
1: they didn't sign any receivers of any persuasion whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's a, a fact, factually uh, inaccurate. And uh, Robbie Paris was not part of that class. So it was, um, it was, uh, it was a dark time, Ryan. Very, very dark time. And the funny thing is, the class before that was really good, it's yeah. like really good. Uh, the, the 2003 class that he signed because that was the class that was built on the 0 02 season where they won 10 games, yeah. Uh, but that class, I mean, you, you had Brady Quinn in that class, yeah. Jeff, you had uh, Jeff Samarge in that class, Chinadim and Dukeway was in that class, John Carlson. Uh, Travis Thomas was a, a pretty good player. John Sullivan was a highly ranked guy. Ryan Harris was in that class. Um, so Trevor Laws, Victor Abby was in that class. Um, Freddie so, Parrish yeah. was a four star kid. Ambrose Wooden was a highly ranked kid in that class. Tom Zabikowski was a four star recruit. So the class before that was pretty flipping good. Let's see. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight. Eight guys from that class got drafted, and it would have been in the NFL. It would have been nine if Samarja would have gone pro. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a, was a per- and then the next year he goes out and signs the worst class I've ever seen in my entire life by a mile at Notre Dame. It was so I bad. So would like- bad.
2: I should do an article on the worst recruiting classes in Notre Dame history. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's like no one
1: – need to be a two-parter, Ryan, where you kind of do that one by itself because no other class deserves to be put on that same stage as that horrible, horrible class. You signed two quarterbacks, and they were both two stars. Now, I think, if I remember correctly, I think Darren Bragg transferred to UCLA and moved to receiver. Yeah, I th- that sounds correct to me. Yeah. So. Uh it, it, i i could be wrong on that, but I, I thought that that's that's what happened. So Yeah, it was uh not, I was trying to look up Darren Bragg's stats, but it keeps taking me to the dude that played in the in major leagues, major league baseball. It won't oh. I can't find the other Darren Bragg's numbers, but anyway. We'll, we'll move right along there, Mr. Roberts. Okay. Let me get up here. Next question is from Double R, which is great initials, by the which way.
2: Is, yeah, I I, <laughs> I just posted in the room and missed this startup. I am sorry, Notre Dame. Double R Carson's corner is the real is the deal. Love you guys. Thank you Love very you very much. Thank Appreciate you. that. Yes, Archer says, how long do you think it will take Antonio to get used to the jump? To, used to the jump of competition. What kind of expectations are realistic for guys transferring up levels?
1: I mean, it depends on the player. I mean, Ryan, we saw this last year. I mean, you, you first of all, one thing you have to consider is uh, one of the questions: what league is he coming from? Right? Yes. I think that's obviously a big question. The CAA. You and I talked. You and I were talking about this with Carson with Antonio before the show started. Yep. We were talking about all the guys from his league that have transferred and been successful, and then of course last year, just two that were very good. You had Jared Verse transferred in from that league. And the other one was um, Antoine Wells, who who went to South Carolina from James Madison. Now, when he left James Madison, they were still in that the CAA. They're still a FCS team. It was the year before they jumped up to D one. Yeah, you know, but but uh, Antoine Wells had sixty eight catches for nine hundred twenty eight yards this year in the SEC. Yeah, you know, so we've seen a lot of those kids do it. It just depends on the caliber of the player, honestly. And and because you got to think about it, you've got all summer of the workouts to get used to the speed. You've got all fall camp, and then the season kicks off with Navy and Tennessee. I mean, he's literally going to play a, a bad FCS team in the second game, He's his first home note. I mean, literally, the team Notre Dame is going to play in his first home game at Notre Dame is worse than almost every team he played at Rhode Island last year, it's almost. True. It's true. And so he'll have plenty of games. I mean, he'll have two games also, plus all that other stuff I talked about before NC State comes to town. Then it's Central Michigan. And let's be honest, there are some teams – because here's the thing. There are some FCS teams that can beat Division One teams, some of the worst Division One teams. We've seen it. We see it happen all the time now. And the CAA is a team that's been doing that for years. I mean, the CAA has handed the ACC a lot of losses over the years. James, James- Madison, Wayman, Mary, uh, well, Richmond. I going to
2: say, James yeah. Madison also just moved up into the group of five, and they were – Pretty dang good yeah. in year
1: one, right? So I mean, yeah. Right. It happens. They and they were a CAA team the year before. Did they even win the CAA the year before, Ryan? I can't remember. I think they did, right? Then they go did, to the yeah. national championship. Yeah, game? yeah. They,
2: they 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 ran the CAA for a couple yeah. of years, James Madison. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Um now did, it's William and Mary. Was it was it was twenty twenty one the year that they that they were runners up?
2: Sounds right. I mean, they were runners up a lot.
1: <laughs> no, they they didn't win the CAA the previous year, Ryan. That's because they weren't eligible for it. That I, I knew there was some reason why they no they they tied with Villanova for first.
2: Oh, Villanova, nice. yes.
1: Uh, Villanova another team that's beaten beaten some Division ones in recent years and given some teams some games. So yeah, I mean, James Madison lost to Villanova, so technically Villanova was the champs. Villanova did not lose until the semifinal. So yeah, um, they did not. They did not yeah they they um oh that can't be right hold on this doesn't make any sense oh James Madison lost to Villanova who'd Villanova lose to that year James Madison had only one regular season loss was to Villanova then they lost to North Dakota in semifinals so Villanova in 2021 only had one loss in con so women Mary their other regular season loss was to Penn State yeah and then they went to the postseason and lost to uh south Dakota. State in the second round, who you've said is a really good FCS team yes, now. Very good.
2: And they brought so, get one yeah, back so, this year. So too. James
1: Madison ties for the league lead in their division, and then they come out, they then move up to Division One and go what they went, eight games this year? Something like right? that. Eight yeah. and three? They're and yeah, three this out. year. Yeah. Blew out middle Tennessee, blew out Norfolk State, beat App State on the road, blew out Texas State 40-13, blew out Arkansas State on the road 42-20. Blattel Dominion thirty seven three, beat Georgia State by two, beat Coastal Carolina by forty, forty seven to seven, and then lost by a touchdown to George Southern. Got blown out by Louisville, and then lost uh, by two touchdowns to Marshall. So that was their that was their season in year one coming up from the from the CAA. From NH
2: says B Ryan, this was great. It's so enjoyable to get a chance to meet these young men. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah, uh, he is a. He was, that's why we wanted to get him on, Ryan, because he's just, you and I both had a chance to talk to him. He's just a really nice kid. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, really good kid, really unique kid. And, but also, I mean, you, you all met, he's laid back, he's talking soft, he's very intelligent. But then you put the pads on and he's knocking heads, man. I mean, that's, he is a physical kid that likes to smack people. Yes. And I like that kid. I like it. Someone like that. someone said in the chat when he was on that his nickname is going to be the uh, tone setter.
2: Yes. Tone I like that. Right? I, was, I, was I, well, like well, I like well it. Done. Too, man. I like well it done. Well
1: done. Yeah. We have a super chat from Trash. <laughs> he said the Herb, herb speech, rival rivals speech sticks with me. Okay. Appreciate okay. that. And then we have one from Mark Stewart, my man. Mark
2: Stewart says Big Ten Network show Notre Dame versus Michigan State. In 2010, the fake field goal game. Mark, why are we talking about this game? The Notre Dame offense has some firepower, and Floyd, yeah. Theo Riddick, and Dane Crist even looked good. Michael Floyd was amazing. Can Mary Weather be as good as Michael Floyd?
1: I don't think so. I mean, Michael, Michael Floyd, was a freak man, <laughs> he was. He was so good. I, I look like Michael Floyd to me was a five star guy coming out. I mean, he was right on the same level as a college prospect as the two other stars in that in that in that level AJ Green and and uh Julio Jones. And Michael Floyd was the better player when they were freshmen. And if he doesn't get hurt as a freshman, I mean, his numbers his rookie year would have been silly if he didn't get hurt. I mean, he 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 made a very quick impact at Notre Dame. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah dane went off that game right he had 369 passing yards uh theo riddick had over 100 yards receiving floyd had two touchdowns and he didn't even mention they had kyle rudolph on that team uh, yeah so you know i mean that 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 guy had that guy had i mean that team had some, some some firepower there's there's no doubt about that and you know when when you look at um you know when you look at what michael floyd did from the minute he got to notre dame i mean goodness gracious in 2008 his you know, he catches a touchdown pass in his first game. He has 300-yard game, 400-yard games uh, in, in his last five before he got hurt. Actually, no, I'm sorry. He got, he see, when when did he get hurt? Yeah, he, he got hurt against Boston College and didn't play the last few games, comes back for the bowl game. Then the next year he comes out, and the year that Golden Tate wins the Blitnikoff, what a lot of people may not remember is Floyd was the one that started the season off even better. Against Nevada, Floyd had, four catches for 189 yards and three touchdowns. Against bad. Michigan he had seven catches for 131 yards and a touchdown and then he had two catches for 38 yards and a touchdown early against Michigan State and then got hurt, broke his collarbone and came out. Floyd was the one that was off to even a, a bigger start that season than, than Golden Tate. Now look, Golden Tate was still off to a good start that year. Don't don't get it twisted. You know, Golden had some had a couple pretty good games those first two games as well. Uh, but Floyd was the guy that Jimmy Clausen looked for. I mean, the first game he had Golden had three catches for 59 yards and against Michigan. I think they both went over 100 against Michigan. Let me check real quick. Yeah, Golden had nine for 115 and two scores. Uh, but Floyd was there was Jimmy Clausen's top target, and Golden doesn't win to Bolitnikoff if Floyd stays healthy because there would have been the numbers would have been split more they might probably would have both had a thousand, but golden would have had like 90 plus for 1400 plus that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's probably similar to 2020
2: with Devonta Smith. Cause people forget, but Jalen Waddle was actually the leading yeah. receiver on that team when he got hurt. Yeah. Like he was balling that year. Yeah. And then obviously after he got hurt, it was like Devonta Smith show. Like that's right. the guy now, like right. John Mechie also, but like Devonta is our guy. Yeah. Like no one had any doubts yeah. about that.
1: So no doubt. Yeah, that's a good that's a really good example. Like a really good that's a that's an example that shows a correlation there. right? That's, that. so Waddle was balling that year, man, before yeah. he got hurt, he was balling it, out. To <laughs> me, though, if you're gonna talk about how good can Tobias Merriweather be, to me, he's more Jeff Samarja than he is Michael Floyd. And and to me, just stylistically, athletically, Floyd was an incredibly powerful football player. Yeah. That was also a lot faster than people gave him credit for, for yeah, a guy like four, four, seven or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. And, and, and could beat teams deep. I mean, it wasn't like he was catching a bunch of hits now his last year, he was very low yards per catch because of just the way that they used him. But his first two, three years, he was a big play machine, right? I think he was like 18 yards at his first two years. It was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, he was a lot, Tobias is more smooth and fluid. I could say he's more of a Jeff Samarja type of impact player than a Michael Floyd type of impact player where Michael Floyd, cause Dude, if he's covered, it's like it didn't matter. Jimmy would just throw him the ball anyway, and he would just go out and play a guy for the ball. I mean, it just – Tobias is not that guy. He's more smooth and fluid, and and that's why I've used – kind of compared him to T. Higgins. I think he's more of a T. Higgins type of player. Love T. Higgins. T. Higgins wasn't Michael Floyd. I'm sorry. Yeah, Michael Floyd is just a physical – like you said, Ryan, you said freak. I think that's a good example. I mean, 6'3", 220+, 4'4", could jump super long arms – And it's like Miami, it's like when he, that Miami game in 2010, the bowl game, it's like he was playing against little kids. I mean, it just was like, he was like catching balls. They're falling down. He's like taunting them. It's just like, it'd be like if they brought an NFL player back to play against a bunch of college kids is like, that's what it was like. I mean, it was just, he was just a different dude on the field. It was like, you know, we talk about guys that are different. Michael Floyd was just a, just a freak. I mean, then against Florida state the next year, they, put him back to return punts, and he returns one like 40-some yards. You know what I mean? It's just like he was a – I mean, could you imagine if he would have had Jimmy Clausen for four years? I mean, goodness gracious. He'd have put up some crazy numbers. Or even if he just would have had Jimmy – I'll still say this, man. If Jimmy Clausen comes back in 2010, that Notre Dame team would have been really freaking good because Golden probably comes back too. Could you imagine that? Jimmy Clausen, Golden Tate. Michael Floyd, Tyler Eifert, and Kyle Rudolph on the same team with Sear Wood and Robert Hughes at running back.
2: Oh, man, Robert Hughes, that kid.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That team would have been so good. Oh, man, that team would have been good. But, yeah, you're right, Mark. That team had some serious firepower, man, some serious firepower. Just couldn't, sure just couldn't consistently do it and couldn't really run the football when they needed to that year. That was a, that was a problem that they had to be honest with you. And then when, when, uh and Dane was just, it was just a really inaccurate quarterback. You know, he just would go through these spells where he, he would just look like a million bucks. And then he'd have these spells where it's like, this guy can't complete a pass. It was uh strange, strange yeah. to say the least.
2: Next question from John Leahy says, what team do you think had the most impactful transfer class?
1: Well, I, I I think it depends on a couple different ways you're looking at it. If you're just talking about volume, you know, Colorado. I, <laughs> I guess, mean, yeah. I mean, the whole story lineup's going to be different. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it just. I mean it's it's so hard to it's so hard to compare the different the different ones, Ryan. And strategies different. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just. I mean, looking at like Colorado's got thirty what. 41 47 transfer commits 47 That's insane. uh USC has 13 and they brought in some guys that are that are going to be somewhat impactful. I thought Oklahoma had a pretty good transfer class to be like, USC 40. only had 13. I'm surprised about that. F- uh, 15. Oh 15. 15. Okay. Excuse yeah. me. 15. I did say 13. I'm going to say 15. Yeah. Uh they had 15 guys come in um you know so so they they had a good they had a good class. They had an impactful class. Uh had some guys leave as well i mean obviously they had some you know some they they signed 15 but then they had they had some guys take off obviously um texas or oklahoma i thought had a pretty good transfer class to be honest with you and i'll tell you a team that continues to, to really do the portal well is florida state yeah florida state got jeremiah byers the offensive tackle yeah. who's a stud so yeah and and they got uh Braden fisk who i would have yes. gladly taken in notre dame to be yep. honest with you uh they they had some 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 departures they had some guys they lost as well sure. uh Jaheim bell's a good pickup people are making a little bit more out of that pickup than i think they should to be completely honest with you uh but still still good pickups nonetheless and then they had a bunch of dudes leave for uh colorado did you see that florida state um, did yeah let's see they had five see five of their former players left for colorado at least yeah it's weird yeah, good. but Braden Fisk was a good pickup. Fentral Cypress is a good, again, a guy that's getting a little bit more hype than he should, but he's another a good pickup that they had. Uh, so that they've done well because he's doing it the way that you and I talked about that we think LSU is going to do it, where he had to go to the portal big early because he had to completely revamp his roster and the culture. But as he, as he gets deeper into his tenure, you're seeing less and less numbers and more targeted uh, pickups in the transfer portal. Uh, yeah. Oregon's had a nice portal session, but Oregon also lost a lot of dudes in the portal as well, and they did kind of more numbers um, to me than anything else. Ole Miss has had an interesting port- portal cycle, Ryan. I, you know, that's going to be interesting. And I think Michigan, uh, I think Michigan had a really impactful portal session, Ryan, because I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Lyman. yeah. If Miles Hinton, if they, if Miles Hinton is who I think he's going to be. Man, that was a heck of a pickup. And they they added some nice defensive pieces. They got the Hausman kid from Nebraska uh to go there. Josiah Stewart's an edge player from he was from Coastal. Coastal. Wasn't he? Correct. Got him to go there. But Miles Hinton is a is a big one. They got That's the Darius a real Anderson big one. from Arizona yeah. State, is good good offensive right as well. That's yeah. right. That's right. So again, they're not getting numbers. And honestly, I think Notre Dame had a big impact transfer portal class. It's just if we're talking about impact and not volume. So it's just so hard to. 47 com- kids, Ryan, from Colorado. They even 40- had one kid that was a part of that that Seven. just
2: re entered. So
1: unbelievable. Was that the tight end? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's just nuts. I mean, absolutely nuts. I'm looking at this now, right? I mean, that's now they had some big name guys, obviously, but man, that's nuts. That is cra- 47 guys. I'm looking at this now. Savelle Smalls is a big-name guy, but he hasn't played that well. He hasn't played like a five-star since he's been in, in college. Yeah. No, nope. They had a bunch of guys from Florida State, a few guys from um, Alabama, Michigan, Taylor Upshaw. Again, a lot of guys that just weren't starters at other places are going to Jackson State. I mean, going to Colorado. Um, Yeah, they still have uh, Treori in there, Ryan, so they haven't even taken him out. But yeah, you he's said he's he's back in the portal, right? Yep, saving yeah. Triori. Yep. Travis Hunter, obviously, is a big name there. Yeah, it's wild. Did the Kevin Coleman kid – where did he transfer to? Keon Coleman? No, Kevin Coleman, the kid that was a freshman receiver at Jackson State last year. Did oh, I'm he not transfer? sure.
2: I'm not sure. I thought it was talking about Keon Coleman from no, no, uh, Michigan I, State. Yeah,
1: I saw he's down to what uh, – did I see? Did I read today? Florida State and um, Ole Miss, I think is what I read he's down to. Didn't see that I one. I believe. Didn't see that one. A good player, um, though. Is, I like him. Yeah, you know, where is he going to – he is going to Louisville. Kevin Coleman's going to Louisville. Interesting. He was the other five star receiver that Jackson State signed uh, in the year before with Dion. So I was curious where he went. Next question is from JHT
2: 1988. It says Brian and Ryan, how strong is the SEC bias on major networks? massive you yeah. see two quarterbacks <laughs> who didn't do much in Peyton Thorn and Tyler Buckner and now they are seen as huge pickups
1: yeah I I had a thing there today I re- referred I responded to um Ryan where 24-7 sports had um overrated teams they had they had Buckner on there right yeah and and and, and Tommy Reese is this big loss now listen this isn't an anti-Tommy Reese comment But if Tom Reese was still at Notre Dame, no one's ranking him in their top 10 of offensive coordinators, whether they should or should. I'm not not even saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying, like, there's no way it would have happened. No way it would have happened. But now he goes to Alabama and just like that, he's top 10 coordinator. And I'm going to have an article coming out here today. But. They they evaluated – they did quarterback rooms, right, quarterback situations, quarterback, you know, which is just a silly way of, of doing it. But they had Tier 1, right, and then Tier 2, Tier 1B, Tier 2, Tier 3, and Tier 4, and then 4A and 4B. Guess where Notre Dame is in those tiers of college football teams, Ryan? Tier four, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. Guess who they had in Tier three? I didn't
2: see this. Alabama, I guess. Alabama,
1: really? (laughs) If Alabama's quarterback room ahead of Notre Dame's, no Alabama starting quarterback. I saw this. It's probably going to be a guy that got beat out by Notre Dame starting quarterback. Yes, and they have Alabama's quarterback room ahead of Notre Dame's quarterback situation ahead of Notre Dame's, and it's it's not even a depth. It's just the starter. And that. it's just like yeah. what are you talking about? They have Joe Milton in tier 3. They have Carson Beck in tier 3. They have Cade Cl- so it's 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 just a it's an absurd thing. And then here's where it gets even dumber. They have Riley Leonard and Jaden Daniels and Sam Hartman in tier 4a. Do I need to remind you that they have (laughs) Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Carson Beck, Kyle McCord, Drew Aller, and Joe Milton in tier three? Like, tell me you don't watch these teams and you're only looking at recruiting rankings without actually telling me that. They have Frank Harris, who everybody here, most people here have only ever heard of Frank Harris because we've talked about him, right? Love Frank Harris. You have Frank Harris in tier two, Sam Hartman in tier four. Guys, you're not serious anymore. When you're having these, you have KJ Jefferson, who, again, Ryan, you know, I love KJ Jefferson. You can't have him in tier two and have Sam Hartman in tier four. You have, you know, who's in 1B? You're going to love this. Jordan yeah. Travis. Okay, fine. Bo Nix. Okay, yeah. fine. Michael Penix. Okay, fine. you know who else is in tier 1B? Which is tier 1A is Caleb and Drake May. Do you know who's sure. in tier 1B? Cameron Rising. Oh, Cam Cameron Rising. Cameron freaking Rising. Texas is in tier one down. B. Yeah. So it's not even just an sec bias there. It is so obvious that there's an anti Notre Dame thing going on at ESPN. And I, two years, three years ago, I would have said no way, but when you're doing stupid things like this, I can't take you seriously. Who I, made I, this I, list? I named you uh, ESPN, but who uh, actually David one? Hale, who's David one Hale. of their staff writers. Okay. Who's a pretty well-known guy at ESPN, as far as okay. their writers, gotcha. but it's just, it's just stupid. It's like, you know,
2: so dumb, so dumb. You know what they say, Brian, can't fix stupid,
1: man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's not even bias anymore. It's just dumb at this point in time. But let's be honest. I mean, there's bias. There's also a pro Big Ten bias. Like, so I'm watching Joel Klatt yesterday, and I like Joel Klatt. I do. I enjoy listening to Joel Klatt because even when I disagree with him, I feel like he at least will explain, here's why I see it the way I see it. I don't agree with you, but at least there's some rationale. Well, guess where he works? Fox News. Guess who Fox News has as its primary rep, you know, football con- It's The Big Ten. Big Ten, yeah. So, of course, his top five has three Big Ten teams in it. Okay, sure. You want to put Penn State in the top five? Whatever. You know, I mean, it's, it's a Big Ten bias, in my opinion. So you see that everywhere, but it's getting beyond Big Ten, I mean, SEC bias. And it's just getting to the point where it's just, I can't even take you seriously anymore. You know, it's, it's like watching politics on t- I can't, I used to love watching Paul and I would watch CNN. I would watch Fox. I'd watch MSNBC. I just like, like, kind of, but now it's just, it's so I can't watch any of them now. Cause it's just like, you're not even trying to be serious at this point in time. It's like, you're just like a reality TV show. You guys aren't even, this is all, this is all fake. This is all like just spin that you're just, you know, for ratings crap. It's not even serious. It's not even an attempt. Like I used to be able to have discussions with people on the opposite side of me politically, Ryan where it's like, I could have at least feel like they were making a good faith argument. They believe what they believe about this issue. I believe what I believe and we could have an honest conversation about it. Now it's like, you're not even being honest anymore because you literally took the opposite stance of what you're taking now three years ago yeah. because it was proposed by someone of the opposite side. And that's true on Fox and all of them, right? This isn't like a, oh, Fox is honest, but CNN's not. They're all crap in my opinion now. Because it's like stuff that you would have like, so if you're a right winger, stuff that Donald Trump would do, you're all for, but you hated it when Bill Clinton did it, right? And now it's like people that support things that Joe Biden does hated it when Donald Trump did it. It's like, you're not serious anymore. I can't take you serious anymore. And sadly, that's how sports media has turned into now, Ryan. Yeah. It's like, I can't even, I don't even think you believe that. That's the thing. I I don't even think you actually believe what you just said. I think just you're shock, just saying it shock, for some other shock, thing. Shock, now. Yeah. That's all it is. I, I, because, like, if you actually like Joe, that's what I was saying about Joel Clatt. I think Joel Clatt yeah. actually kind of has convinced himself of that because partly why? Because he sees those Big Ten teams all the time. It's 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 I think he thinks the way he does about Penn State because he watches a lot of Penn State games because he covers the Big Ten. So sure. it's a bias, but I don't think it's an intentional misleading bias. That's right, the difference. Right.
2: Like he's convinced himself of it. It's not like Correct. he's being dishonest, yeah.
1: To and point. he's yeah. making an yeah. argument for why they're there a lot of this other stuff is just either you're really awful at your job or you're just yeah. dishonest. And I think sometimes it's a little bit of both. Well, I mean, it's
2: it's, it's it's like the whole, uh, skip Bayless thing, right? Like people call skip stupid. I'm like, skip's not stupid. He just plays into
1: it, man. Exactly. Like, that's
2: what he's doing. Like he's, he's very smart, the, which is why Vanderbilt. he makes a
1: crap load of money. <laughs> right. right. I mean, cause he knows yeah. that's what sells. Cause you know what? All these people that say he's dumb do.
2: Yeah. How do you listen know
1: he's him. dumb? Cause you watch his show. Constantly.
2: Yeah. Exactly
1: right? Nope. So it's like, but how do you have Cameron rising in tier one B and have Sam Hartman in tier four? Like uh, make that make sense for me, Ryan. Yeah. Make that make sense for me. I, I give can, me man. some sort of justification that you could say why Cameron rising needs to be in tier two or tier one B and Sam Hartman's in tier four and give me some explanation on why the Alabama kids are all ahead of sam hartman
2: conference championships i don't know that's that's
1: all i got for you i don't know it's man. just I don't know. so stupid so yeah J-H-T. A, a, bet- a better mustache i don't know man i'll be honest i used to push back on this notre dame bias stuff i thought it was fans being paranoid i really did but i've come to the point now where it's like it takes a, a greater leap of faith for me ryan to say it's not biased than it does yeah. for me to say it is biased it takes a far greater leap of faith for me to say that And I just, I can't anymore. It's just because it just happens so consistently.
2: It does. You
1: know, and that's what makes it kind of really frustrating. And also is why I'm making some of the business moves that I'm making. Because I'm like, if you don't like it, then do something about it. And I'm going to try, try my best to do something about it. So anyway, rant on that over. (laughs) There we go.